0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians. I'm coming. Yeah. And as you're opening, how many years? What? That's ridiculous. That's impossible. Ray and Kathy Carlyle have been married for 45 years. So we offer them congratulations, and we urge people not to get married at 10 years old. But you made it work, and we're proud of you guys for sticking with it. You were young, but that's an early start for crying out loud. I have no idea. Ray's had 14 lifetimes. Uh, it's a great story. So the, are you open to the, to the book of Ephesians? All right, remember, now, as we're studying Ephesians, here's some things you want to remember. Ephesians is not necessarily written to confront or to correct heresy, doctrine, or divisions in the church. Ephesians appears to be more of a celebration of what is true But even as it celebrates what is true It still functions in a way that confronts It confronts our apathy It confronts our unbelief It confronts any tendency in the church to lower our expectations It confronts any tendency to lower our expectometer Of what God has done for us in Christ and what it means in Ephesians keeps inspiring us to lift our hearts and lift our eyes and believe, to see, to behold, to believe what God has done for us in Christ and to live accordingly. It inspires us to be so possessed with hope. It's always nice when my mom's in the service. (laughs) To be so possessed with hope that we cannot, that we will not settle for what has been we can be exceedingly grateful but we cannot be content with the status quo with what has been lord lift our eyes and enlarge our hearts to see who you are and what you've done for us and what can be and help us to see it in this text somebody said amen all right, let's, let's continue. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're in the first 10 verses this week. I'll read it, then we'll talk a little bit about it. Our one sentence this week is this. Well, I'll tell you the sentence in a minute. Ready? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also. Lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But. I'm going to just let my mom finish that for me. But, and she said it, but God. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works that, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works. Which God prepared in advance, for us to do. In Christ, you have been saved. Ooh, there's a tiny bit of joy in the room. (laughs) Let's try it again. In Christ, you have been saved. (laughs) But to understand that, to appreciate it, to get your... To enlarge your (laughs) woo-o-meter, you need to start with where Paul started. Verses 1 through 3. Take a deep breath. Lean into it. You deserved wrath. You deserved wrath. Maybe you should just get it over with and say it with me right now. We deserved wrath. Let us never underestimate our profound need to have been saved. If we underestimate our need for salvation, we will underappreciate the greatness of our salvation. We will underlive the power of our salvation. We will likely live like we aren't saved. If you want to live like you're saved, understand that you're our profound need for it, and then appreciate the greatness of what we receive. So here's the deal. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in transgression. Transgression means to trespass. To step over the line on purpose. There's a line. I see it's there. I'm stepping over it. It's, it's a trespassing. The sign says no trespassing. And that offended you just like it does every time you see it. Uh. <laughs> every time you see a sign that says you're not supposed to do something, you feel this impulse. I'm speaking hypothetically here, but I feel the anointing here. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah that's okay there, we got two cars we're good yeah <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this church <laughs> Trespass to step over the line to be will to be willfully rebellious. we were dead in your transgressions and Sin. Now, Paul is not being redundant. This is not rhetorical. In this case, transgression is the act. Sin, he's talking about this proclivity to sin, this propensity. Literally, he's talking, he describes sin in two ways, as an action and as a power. It's not merely a choice or a decision that you make, although it is. It is a power that people live under. And you are dead in those transgressions and sins. Paul says that you used this that you used to live like that in verse 2 when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul says we used to live in transgression and sin following The ways of this world or the ways of the world. When he says the ways, he's talking about a characteristic or a pattern of the age. That this world organized in rebellion against God outside of Christ. There is there is this world has a way and it is the wrong way. It is the wrong way. And it is the way that we'll see in chapter four. It is the way that you and I no longer live. But we used to live under that way. And then Paul helps us further that, this, that the way of this world is a way that is uh, exercised or directed by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, this is where if we don't, some folks don't, don't enjoy the, the, the spiritual realities that the Bible describes. But here Paul is saying and acknowledging that the devil has influence and power over people. He calls him the, king, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, back in the day, way, way back in the day, I remember my father-in-law telling me that some of his pastors, would, they were uncomfortable at first with going on the radio. They were suspicious about radio broadcasts because of this very passage. Well, now, the, if we, that's where the, the radios are in the air, and he's the king, of, you know, ruler of the air, and we don't want to you know, involve the devil. Now, listen, while they may have been a little bit off, and, probably, and we're glad that we overcame some of that because we make use of a lot of stuff right now. We're desperate for attention here. We use every kind of thing. <laughs> and by we, I mean me. But anyway, I still respect people. I still respect our forefathers going, hey, wait a minute. We don't understand all of this, what's going on now, but we do know one thing. There is a ruler of the air. There is a demonic presence. There is a satanic influence, and we want to stay away from it. Paul wants us to understand that there is a spirit at work, that, that, the, that Satan's power is spiritual, and that that spirit is energizing or at work in those who are disobedient. Disobedience is... Gives influence to the enemy. Disobedience partners with and gives him influence. If you are under that power, you'll know it because there will be disobedience in your life. The book of James tells us that if you know the good you ought to do... And you determine not to do it, that that is sin. And willful disobedience is energized by and gives influence to the devil. That's very serious. And if that's present in your life, repent, turn to Jesus, and ask him to save you now. Paul says all of us used to live that way. All of us used to live that way, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. All of us used to live this way. Which way? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. In the New Testament, the flesh has to do with uh, uh, sinful urges. And Paul is here is talking about uh, that gratifying uh, the flesh. It means complying with a literally complying with a power that is contrary to the influence of the spirit. Then Paul says, we also followed its desires and its thoughts. Now listen, Paul is not afraid to identify specific sinful actions. He has what the folks call vice lists in many of his letters, and he'll identify things rhetorically that are sinful behaviors, everything from murder to dishonoring your parents. He's not afraid to call us out, but he's always careful to identify this, that sin begins in our desires and our thoughts this is where strongholds are this is where the enemy secures a stronghold this is where we entertain sin this is when we partner with the idea and it is in our cravings our desires and our thoughts that we first need cleansing and deliverance jesus does that for us now paul says like the rest the rest of meaning those who are disobedient, like the rest of the disobedient, we were by nature. Here it is. Deserving of wrath. Somebody say out loud wrath one more time. I know. I know social media. Jesus doesn't believe in wrath. Social media. Jesus is just was just rainbows and daisies and unicorns. But if we miss this, we will miss the goodness of God. We will miss the power of his goodness to us. Paul says, like the rest of those who are uh, following the ways of this world, who are under the ruler of the air, who are indulging their cravings and their thoughts and desires of sin, like them, we were all by nature deserving of God's wrath. Friends, the wrath of God is against all disobedience. And apart from Christ, we all were objects of and deserving the wrath of God. But you deserved wrath, but you received grace. (laughs) But God. Verse 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, God's love has overcome and is greater than his wrath. God's love is greater than and has overcome his wrath. Listen, time out real quick. Good application. That is a good example for you and I to follow. Let the love of God in you overcome your you, any tendency you have to be wrathful. When you feel like people deserve your wrath, let love overcome it. Even if it's on the freeway. You can do it. God who is rich in mercy. Somebody say he's rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He's rich. He rich. He's rich in mercy. He's wealthy in mercy. He has more than enough mercy. He's got storehouses of mercy. He's got mercy. He's got mercy storehouses on, on, on islands in different places of the planet. He's got it like one in Malibu and one in France. And He's rich. He is rich in mercy. Go ahead and try to exaggerate it. You won't get it. You won't be able to. He is rich in mercy. He never runs out of mercy. He's able to be very generous with mercy. God can and has written mercy checks to you all day, every day, and he'll never run out. Because of his great love and because he's so rich in mercy. Verse 5 says he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. And he raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. Because he's rich in mercy, he made you alive with Christ. Someone say, made alive made alive. He, he, there, there is, you have been given a quickening. You were dead, but he made you alive. What do you mean? How did that happen? It happened because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has and will quicken your mortal bodies. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 has already told us that when You believed you were given a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit that raised Christ now quickens you, makes you alive. You have received eternal and righteous life from the Holy Spirit. You have been made alive. You are no longer dead. Somebody say, no longer dead. You are no longer dead, but you didn't wrestle yourself out of that thing. You were given life by the Holy Spirit. And God raised you up. He raised you up and seated you with Christ. That means from heaven's perspective, you have been seated with, you have joined the company of Christ himself. You have been seated with Christ. Somebody say seated with Christ. Christ. Now, I'm aware that most of the time, People want to emphasize a, a regal dynamic of that statement. A regal dynamic, meaning seated with Christ. Well, Christ is ruling and reigning, and if I'm seated with Christ, then I, too, must be ruling and reigning with Christ. There's plenty of Bible for that. So, thumbs up. Yeah. Okay, thumbs up. Plenty of Bible for that. I don't know that this is Bible for that, necessarily. I, don't, I think that in, rather than having regal implications... The context is about relational implications. I think perhaps the point is not so much that we have been seated in royalty but brought near in relationship. Being seated with Christ has something more to do with being, with sharing the table with Him. Remember, the text is You were objects of wrath, but now you are objects of his hospitality and his kindness. You were outsiders, but now you belong at his table. By grace, you have been saved. You have been saved from, somebody say from. You have been saved from all the disobedience. You have been saved from all the cravings. You've been saved from all the power of the enemy. You have been saved from all the wrath of God. You have been totally and powerfully saved. Okay. All right. I'm looking for faith in the room. And it's my job to keep working until faith arises. (laughs) You have been totally and powerfully saved. We must believe that or we will not live it. You have been totally and powerfully saved. There is nothing about the dead life that should be true of your new life. Nothing about that. You've been saved from it. You don't got one foot in this and one foot in the other thing. Nothing about the former life should be true of this life. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, he came out alive. And then the first thing Jesus said in the King James is loose that man and let him go, right? He is still bound up in grave clothes. And the first thing Jesus recognizes is that grave clothes have no place on a living person. That living people don't walk like, talk like, act like, think like, look like, smell like, dress like dead people. You have been totally and powerfully saved. If you weren't saved, you would still be living like you were before. But you have been saved. how did you get this saved? Mm. Mmm, this church. (laughs) Heads up, if I ever ask you to stand here and speak, just know there's no such thing as a rhetorical question. (laughs) It's an amphitheater, it's a kill zone, they just go for it. (laughs) Well, how is it that you've been saved? But you've got to feel the dynamic of the text. It's so awesome. In the first part, how did you, why were you deserving of wrath? You did that. You, are, you, you chose it. You deserved it. You were living under it. You were following cravings. You were trespassing. You were sinning. And because of your choices, because of your actions, you deserve wrath. Yeah. How'd you get saved? His actions. Because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his actions. God saved you by his work, not by yours. Our work got us into a mess. His work has created us in Christ Jesus as works of art. You aren't saved by your works, but by his. Verse 10, for you are God's. Emphasize that part. For you are God's handiwork. Oh, what? You are God's work of art, tapestry. Poem. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you weren't saved by good works, but you were saved for them where once you were partners with pollution. Now you are part of the solution. And the solution, friends, this is this is so good. This the solution is what God has done for us in Christ. Christ is the solution. And the evidence, the evidence of the hope that God has given us in Christ, the evidence of that is you. The evidence, the sign to the world that God's grace has come, that his kindness has been extended, is you. You. You are God's handiwork. You are his masterpiece. You are his work of art to do good. He's prepared these things in advance for you to do good. But the good you do is not an end in itself. It is the sign. It is the evidence of what God has done for us in Christ. You demonstrate the goodness that has been done to you by the goodness that is done through you. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, the idea of good works got muddled in with works. Like somehow I do works to earn things, and if I don't do enough, then God is upset. That is a horrible. Perverted, destructive view of what we're talking about. You should never go. Well, I haven't done. It. I talk to people all the time. So do you. They say, "Well, I haven't done enough this week. I haven't. Really, I'm feeling bad." This is not about earning favor. This is about showing the favor you've received. Yes. Friends, if you this is the thing, people get so oppressed by it that they stop trying. That they can't. They don't think they can do enough good works. They were prepared in advance for you. Yes. You are living in the echo of the greatest act of kindness that eternity has ever seen. You are living in the echo of the majestic expression of the grace of God. There is no limit to the grace and goodness that can come out of your life. And all of it is just evidence. It's just a sign. The goodness that you give freely to people that don't deserve it, that didn't ask for it, that are confused by it, that is preaching the gospel. You're just showing people that God is just that good. But he's so good, friends, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us working under the power of the Spirit to demonstrate the goodness of God. Wow. You, in Christ, you have been saved. You were dead, but you've been made alive. You used to be an object of wrath. But now you are a work of art. You used to gratify the flesh, follow the devil, be disobedient. But now you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good. In Christ, you have been saved. Could I ask us just to bow our heads across this place real quick, please? without asking anybody to do jumping jacks or do anything odd. I just want to take a moment. Friend, if you are not certain, if you don't have confidence that you have been saved, I don't want you to leave this room today without an opportunity to be sure. Don't leave this room today without an opportunity to be certain that you have asked Jesus to save you from sin, from disobedience, from wrath. It's too important. What I'd like to do is just have the opportunity to agree with you in prayer. Just take the first step today to be certain that you're saved. I can pray with you today. If you'd like, if you could just say, yeah, Dav, that's me. Today, I need to be sure. I want to be sure. And it'll start with you and me agreeing together. You just want to lift your hand. Just wave at me. Don't have to, jumping jacks, nothing weird. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is a private moment between you and the Lord, and I want to be there with you. Just real quick, just just wave your hand at me and say, hey, Dav, that's me. I I need to know today. I need to know that I'm saved. I don't want to leave your unsure <coughs> Jesus would you by your spirit Speak to our hearts Lord We ask you to save us From our sin From our own disobedience Save us Lord from The wrath that we deserved And we thank you today For loving us so much that in your Because of your blood we have forgiveness of sin And redemption thank you for that in Jesus name but now how do we respond to this passage if we know if we see well this is true of me yes i know i i believe that i have been saved how do we respond to paul's reminder how do we respond to paul's pressing this upon our minds today well we respond the same way that we that paul does with prayer and with praise We pray something like this. Lord, today would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Would you flood our hearts with light so that we would know the hope to which you have called us. The inheritance that you have for us. And Lord, let us know what is that incomparably great power you have toward us who believe. Help us to know it, Lord. Help us to believe it deeply so that we can live it fully. This we pray in Jesus' name. The second way that Paul always responds to this is praise. He can't help himself and he shouldn't have to. Praise is always the right response to what God has done. Praise is always appropriate to return to the Lord praise for what he's done. And praise is always the best thing for our own hearts and minds. For us to pause and say, Lord, I thank you. I praise you for what you've done. Or oh, you should give it a try. Lord, I thank you for saving me fully and completely. When's the last time you've even said those words out loud? Lord, I thank you for saving me. I thank you that I am saved from wrath. I am saved from following the ways of this world. I am saved from the ruler of the air. I am saved from my own disobedience and sins and trespasses. I thank you, Lord, for your grace extended to me. I thank you for the riches of your mercy extended to me. I thank you, Lord, that I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I thank you that you have made, you have made me your masterpiece. I'm a result of your handiwork. And Lord, I give you my life. Surrender myself to you, Lord. Use me. Use me, Lord, to reveal and to demonstrate the incomparably great goodness of God to the world around me. Take my heart. God bless you. Leave this place demonstrating to a dark world the goodness of God. God bless you. Have a fantastic weekend. Where you go, we go. God bless you.